And uh, it was great. We were able to go to New Jersey where my parents live. Uh, my, my mom and my dad are in the New York church. Uh, they live in New Jersey. And uh, it was cool because uh, both of my, my parents are Christians. They're part of the New York church. My, my sisters are both Christians. They're both married. And we all now have three kids each. Uh, so uh, my sister just had her third child in, uh, in January. So we were able to meet uh, little Hadassah for the first time. And uh, so it was cool. We were all in one house. For, uh, for, for a week, over a week. So uh, it was 17 people in one house. Actually, one brother-in-law and the other brother-in-law kind of overlapped for a few days, and it was all, all 17, and then one brother-in-law had to work in another. Anyway, it was great time. It wasn't super uh, restful uh, physically, but it was very restful spiritually, and uh, just a great time together. Um, we, uh, uh, it was cool. Every night, the, the patriarch of the family, my dad, would read a Bible story, and all the kids would kind of gather around, and, and uh, we would, you know, listen, and then we'd sing songs, and all the little kids would be like, another song, another song, you know. And it was just so cool. It just made me think, man, this is what the kingdom is about, you know, really being able to pass your faith on uh, to the next generation. And if you're visiting with us, that's really what, what we want to build here, you know, a church that's awesome from the kids' kingdom all the way up to the, the old married empty nester people, you know. And... Uh, we want every stage in life to be able to really minister to people and have a multi-generational, awesome church that just keeps going. And it was cool to see that uh, with my family this weekend. Uh, we're, uh, th- this is the second week in a series called uh, Questions He Asked. We're talking about different questions Jesus asked. You know, he would ask sometimes questions in his ministry. And uh, there's nothing like a question, being asked a question to kind of wake you up a little bit. I remember uh, being in, I just remember that feeling of kind of, sort of coming to my senses and, and a whole room of people are, are staring at me and I realize I'm in class and I've fallen asleep and the, the teacher has asked me a question. You guys ever been there? Uh, you know, you kind of like suddenly awake and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, was I drooling, you know? And, uh, but Jesus would ask questions that kind of engage people, sometimes individuals, uh, sometimes a whole crowd, but the question that we're going to look at today that he asked is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And we're going to be looking at John 5, so you can be turning over there. And uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into the text here. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to earth. Thank you that he came so that we can have life and have it to the full. Uh, thank you for the scriptures that illuminate who he was and what he, what he had to say. And I pray that you would really speak to each one of us here right now, God. I pray your Holy Spirit... Would, would, uh, would fill me, would fill this room. God, would help us, just as we sang earlier, God, flow through our veins, fill us up, help us to be able to really know your will. And uh, God, help me to not get in the way of what your spirit really wants to convey to each and every person here. Help our hearts to be open to your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. John chapter 5 and verse 1. Oh, and I'm in John 9 from this morning. I preached this morning, and I'm in the wrong chapter. Hold on one second. Okay, here we go. John chapter 5. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who, had healed, who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, for something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Such an interesting story, you know, that John records here. The guy has no idea who he's talking to. I mean, imagine this. You're talking, a stranger comes up and asks you a, a, a question, kind of an off-ball question, where we'll talk about it in a second, and, and it's, it's actually the creator of the universe in flesh. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, he has no clue who he's talking to. And that, that happens a lot in scriptures, you know, in, in, uh, in the book of John in particular, in, in, in chapter 4, one chapter earlier, there's a woman at the well who's talking to someone. She has no idea who she's really talking to. She even gets into discussion with him about the Messiah, and then he's like, oh yeah, that's me. Uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 6, it's the crowd that's talking about, uh, you know, they're quoting things from, from the Bible to, to Jesus and talking to him about Moses. And, you know, they have no idea who he is, that he's the fulfillment of Moses, that he is the manna that's come from heaven. They have no idea. In, uh, in John chapter 7 and 8, it's, it's his interaction with the Pharisees. They don't understand or know who he really is. And the, uh, the blind man in, in John 8, or John 9, rather, we're going to look at in a minute, and he had no idea who he was really talking, uh, talking with. You know, you never know when you could be in a situation where God is working in your life. And he's come here, you know, he's heard your prayers, he's set something up to answer them, and, and, and you're just kind of clueless. And so I want you to open your eyes right now to, to, you know, what is God trying to do in my life? How is God trying to work? How is he trying to answer prayers? Could he be, you know, could I be face to face with God, so to speak, and not really even know it? And the question he asks is, is a great question, you know. Uh, do you want to get well? You know, here's this guy, 38 years he's been at this pool. We don't know how long he's been at the pool, but he's been an invalid for 38 years. And uh, in your Bible, there, there's a, a kind of explanation that was added later to the text of John to explain what, what he was talking about when he was talking about the water being stirred. You know, they believed that sometimes the water would be disturbed. Maybe it was an underground uh, spring or something, or maybe it was an actual angel. We don't know exactly, but they believed that an angel would stir the waters and then whoever got in the water first would be healed. So he was kind of you know, holding out hope for this, but he's an invalid. I mean, he's paralyzed, so how's he going to get to the water? It's kind of a catch-22 situation he's in right there. And so, he, you know, he, he's like, man, I, I, I have no one to help me into the water. Uh, he's kind of focused on the issue, focused on the problem, and Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well? It's kind of like, duh. Of course I want to get well. And yet, why did Jesus ask that? You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes he asks these kind of probing questions that, kind of got right to the person's heart. And I think for all of us today, no matter where you are in life, that's really a good question for everybody here. You know, do you want to get well? You know, whether you're a, a new Christian or an old Christian or you're not a Christian at all and you're not even sure what you believe, you're agnostic, 
you know, ask yourself, allow God to ask you that question. Do I want to get well tonight? It kind of infers that there's something that needs to be changed. You know? And, and, and it kind of goes right to the issue of, well, what do you really want? I mean, I know you say you want, but do you really want to get well? You know, there's a lot of people that uh, maybe are like this man. You know, he's kind of, I imagine that he's sort of focused on his hopeless situation, and he's sort of resigned to just living out his routine, just sort of settling. You know, like, I guess it can't really get much better. So this is, this is the way it is. You know, a lot of people get like that. Well, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. And yet Jesus is, I think he's trying to provoke us a little bit, going, well, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be like this. Do you want to get well? A lot of people don't really want to get well. You know, they might complain about their issues, like this guy's kind of complaining about the situation. They might go through heartaches or pain or, or difficulties, but bottom line is they don't really want to get well because they know what getting well might mean. You know, there was a story... Uh, that, that I, I heard uh, a couple of days ago. We're, we've been studying the Bible with a, a, these neighbors of ours, Brock and Norma. They, we met them on the um, soccer field. It was cool. We started this conversation. It was the very last uh, game of, of the summer season of soccer, and, uh, or the uh, spring season of soccer, rather. And um, we just got a great conversation going with them, and they ended up coming over for dinner that very night to our house. Uh, and uh, they've been coming to church for the last couple months, and he's, uh, the plan is for him to get baptized next Sunday. So that's really encouraging. But, uh, but we were studying the Bible, and he was talking about the story that he heard uh, on a, on a, from a Christian uh, radio guy called Chip Ingram. And he was talking about in college where he, wa- he decided that he wanted to, to, to start to get up earlier and make a decision to get up earlier to spend time with God. So he told his roommate... Uh, you know, I, I want to start getting up earlier. So and his roommate's like, okay, do you really want to? You really want to change this? And he's like, Chip's like, yeah, I want to change it. And, and he's like, okay, you really want to change You're really going to change this? And he, Chip's like, yes, I want to change it. So the next morning, the, the snooze, I mean, the, the alarm goes off. He hits the snooze, you know, of course, kind of rolls over. And his roommate's like, Chip, it's time to get up. He's like, I know, I know, I'm going to get up in a minute. I'm tired, oh, you know. No, you said you wanted to change this. It's time to get up. And, 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 okay, I know, I'm going to get up in a minute. So his roommate grabs him, out, his roommate was this big buff guy, grabs him out of bed and picks him up by his feet. And he carried him into the, the, the shower. You know, they lived in the dorms and there were the communal showers. You know, carries him in there, puts him in the shower, turns on the water. You know, his roommate's like, you're going to change this, buddy, you know. And uh, sometimes we, we, we might say we want to change, but do we really want to change? In your mind uh, right now, or, or on a piece of paper, or on your smartphone, if you're keeping notes on your smartphone, but just think for a minute about what is an area of your life that you feel stuck in, where you really want God to move, where you feel like, I need this area of my life to get well. You know, what's, what's the Spirit speaking to you? Is there an area that you feel like, man, I really want to change this? I know for myself, before I became a Christian, you know, I was really controlled by some things. I was controlled by selfishness, controlled by pride, by, by sexual impurity, by uh, debauchery, by, by deceit, you know, by lying, by uh, uh, an incredible lack of love. And I, and I praise God that God really healed me of those things. I mean, those, those things... I look back at who I was before I became a Christian, and it's like, wow, who was that person? 
And yet, even now, as I ask myself this question, do I want to get well? I see there's still areas in my life I need to have breakthroughs. You know, I need to grow in my faith. I need to grow in my level of love for people. I need to grow in serving the poor. I need to grow in, in, in conquering doubts, in conquering fear. I allow fear and worry to get into my life too much. Uh, you know, this, this might seem kind of trivial, but, you know, it came to mind when I was thinking about, do I want to get well? I want to not be so cluttered. You know, my life is very cluttered. Jesus was really streamlined, you know? And, and I just, my, my computer file, I've got so many, I've got stuff from college still I need to get rid of. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm just, I can't get rid of stuff and I'm just cluttered. All my closets, all my drawers, you know, I'm just cluttered. But, but what, what is it for you? What is the area of life that you want to see change and do you want to get well? And you might be here like this guy, not even realizing tonight who you're dealing with. You, you might have come... Uh, you know, for, for whatever reason. You might have just accidentally walked in here. You, don't, you might have no idea you're, you're talking with Jesus, and that's okay. Uh, my wife, Dessa, uh, became a Christian uh, about 20 years, 20 plus years ago, and she came to church for the first time because well, she started coming to a Bible discussion series, but not because she was looking for God or she felt so lost or anything like that. She, just, she was hanging out with some of her friends, and they were going to play racquetball, but in order to play racquetball, they, they said if she wanted to play racquetball with them, she, they had to go, she had to go with them to this Bible study first. Because we're going to go to the Bible study, and then we're going to go play racquetball. So like, okay, I'll go. You know, and she went, and she's like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know. And then she went back again, and she went back again. And, you know, the, God just started opening her heart, but she, she didn't come in going, oh, I'm, I'm such a wreck, and I, I realize I'm just this lost person. You know, she was just kind of stuck in her situation, whatever it was. But then God opened her heart, and... You know, that might be you. You might have come to church t- tonight because an attractive guy or attractive girl asked you. There's a lot of those here. We have a very attractive ministry. You know, that's all right. Our, our worship leader over in the South Bay Church, uh, Dwight Velarde, he came to church because a pretty girl asked him to church, you know, for the first time. And then God opened his heart, you know, and he became a disciple, and now he's our worship leader. Uh, Jackie Marici came to church for the first time because she wanted to steal somebody's nanny. <laughs> she had a friend who had a really good nanny, and she, she wanted to go steal the nanny for herself. But wherever you are, allow Jesus to ask you that question. Allow him to speak to you. The second point, second question, I'm, there, there's three points tonight, and they're, they're questions. Number two, what is he telling you to do? You know, he says to the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. The guy does it. He obeys. He picks up his mat and walks. He's healed. He's healed because of his obedience. And then he goes on. He has this interaction with the, the Jewish leaders. And then Jesus comes to him again. He tells him something else to do. It's a little more difficult. Stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What, what is, how interesting. You know, what did Jesus mean? Why did he say that to the guy? How was he sinning? I mean, we can guess from the next verse... Uh, because it's you know the very next verse he goes and he, he he tattles on Jesus to the religious authorities you know he says oh it was Jesus that did it and uh, you know it, maybe Jesus saw into his heart and he knew that this guy wasn't willing to stand up for his faith maybe he knew that he wasn't willing to to to, to go the distance he was afraid of of what might, people might think of him he was afraid uh, of uh, of, of really recognizing Jesus as the Savior. I, I, we don't know exactly, but 
for whatever reason, Jesus, I think, said this to provoke a response. You know, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You know, he, he said things sometimes just to provoke a response. Like in the, the chapter earlier in, in John 4, he says to the woman at the well, go call your husband and come back. You know, and the woman's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, that's right. You've, you've had four husbands and the guy you're living with right now is not even your husband. What you've said is quite true. You know, Jesus said stuff sometimes. And so maybe he was thinking, you know, maybe the, the, good, the right response would have been, stop sinning. Oh, how am I sinning, Jesus? What, what do you mean? Can you help me? What, what do you mean something worse may happen to me? Something worse than being an invalid for 38 years? You know, tell, help me. Show me. Tell me. Instead, he just kind of ignores Jesus and goes and, and tells the, the religious leaders. Let's look at a similar story in John 9, and we're going to kind of compare and contrast the two stories. John chapter 9. If you'd go there with me. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in this world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. We'll keep reading here in a minute, but uh, let's stop right there for now. Uh, You know, again, you never know how Jesus is going to work. And, uh, you know... The, the guy in the first story, it seems like he wanted help by somebody helping him into the pool. And yet Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And in this, in this case, you know, Jesus chose to, I don't know why he chose to, to make mud out of Savior saliva, you know. It's not like there was something magical about his spit. But for whatever reason, you know, he makes mud out of spit and puts it on the guy, smears it on his eyes and says, go wash in the pool. He sends him through the city walking with this mud on his, caked on his eyes. You know, people might have thought, why is this guy doing that? You know, they might not have even known he was blind. Here's just a guy walking around with, with mud on his eyes. Why did Jesus do that? I mean, I don't know. And a lot of times, God comes into your life or is going to heal you or is going to help you in a way that you didn't maybe even want him to. Or at least you didn't expect. But, but we've got to trust him. I think he's looking to see if we will trust Will you do what he is telling you to do? What is he telling you to do? Would this guy have been cleansed if he had been like, oh man, this is gross, and just gone and washed it off as soon as he could? I don't think so. He had to obey what Jesus told him to do. And, and I think we've got to have the same kind of reverence and, and respect for what it is that Jesus tells us to do. What is he telling us to obey? Again, just take a second and think, is there anything, when, when it comes to that area what, that I want to see change, is there something Jesus is telling me to do? Something from the Bible, something the Spirit's put on your heart? Ask yourself, based on what you know so far, what is He telling you to do? 
You know, you might need to ask someone else. Hey, what do you think Jesus is telling me to do? You know, sometimes other people can help us see the situation clearly. The couple I shared about, Brock and Norma, uh, they have a daughter who's uh, 22. She just recently graduated from UCLA, and um, she, uh, I heard a whoop-whoop over there somewhere. Um, But uh, she studied the Bible, and she got baptized a couple weeks ago. And uh, she's a really great girl, and, and it was cool. The baptism was right after church, and, you know, everybody's sharing. And don't you love the sharing when people get baptized? Everybody shares. That's, like, the best part. Sometimes it can go, you know, a little long. Sometimes an hour. Once it's over an hour, it's like, okay, let's get this thing done before Jesus comes back. But, uh, but anyway, everybody's sharing. And uh, the thing that so many of the sisters shared about her was, you know, you had such an amazing response to the Word of God. You know, when we'd open the Bible, when you'd see things in the Bible, you would just go, okay, that's what it says, that's what I need to do. That's what Jesus said, that's what Jesus expects, that's who I need to be. And the reason that was, was so inspiring and so exciting to the sisters that studied with her is because that's pretty rare in our generation. Uh, people are pretty selfish, they're pretty set in their ways, and, and so few people are really willing to A, take the time to investigate what Jesus even had to say. I mean, so many people have so many ideas about things, and they they talk with such authority, and they just have no clue. You know what I mean? You ever talk to people, you share your faith, and like we were sharing our faith with this lady at Starbucks a few days ago, and she's like, oh yeah, all the religions are all the same. You know, I've studied it out. They all have Noah's Ark, and they all have this, and they all have the Savior, and they all have... It's like, well... Okay, there's a lot of flood stories. Yes, that's true, but because it really happened. But, you know, uh, you know, people just talk so confidently about what they have no clue about. And uh, so few people really study the Bible, really open the Scriptures and go, what did Jesus really say? What is it, what's really in there? And if you don't know, I really challenge you and encourage you to, to open the Bible with some other folks from, from the ministry here. We love to study the Bible with people. And when we say study the Bible, it doesn't mean like there's going to be a test. Well, there is a test at the end of time, but <laughs> it's not like study, like academic study. It means you sit down, you know, with a cup of coffee at Starbucks and you open the Bible and you, go, you look at a scripture and you go, here's what I think this means. What do you think it means? And you just talk about the scripture and you talk about your life. And it's amazing how you get changed, how your life changes from just looking at what Jesus has to say and then following through and doing it, putting it into practice in your life. And there's things Jesus tells you to do that you won't really understand until after you've obeyed. And I don't know why that is, but that's, that's how God works. It's like, uh, will you do it? Here's what I'm telling you to do. Will you do it? Like the guy trying to go wash at the pool of Siloam. You know, he's waiting to see, will you follow? And then you understand afterwards. And Jesus said this in John 8. He says, if you hold to my teachings, what I'm telling you, if you hold to that, then you will know the truth. But not until you hold to the truth. You know, you got to... First hold to it, then you're my disciple, then you'll know the truth. So the only way you really understand some of what Jesus had to say is if you go ahead and put it in, in, into practice. Now when it comes to these areas where we, where we need to change, uh, there are, you can find other solutions. You know, you can find, there's a lot of self-help books out there. There's a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of people who have a lot of ideas about how to change in different areas of your life but so many humanistic situations, solutions, they don't really address the problem. They don't really fix, they don't really help you get well. You don't really get well, I think, so many times. It's, it's kind of not what you were meant for. Um, 
just an, an illustration, my son, uh, Jameson, when he was young, he used to play this game called Jumpstart, and it, it, it had these characters, and it's kind of this world you go into, and you do these different things and, and learn different things. But you have a character that you kind of design, and then you, you know, it's like one of these, like Toontown or, or these other games, some of, some of the, the parents that have kids that age know what I'm talking about, where it's kind of its own little world, right? And so you get little stuff, and they try to sell you things, you know, but... But anyway, he earned, uh, he earned money to, to buy a pet for his character. And so he bought this pet, and then he bought a brush, and he bought some food for the pet. And, he, and he's like, Daddy, I, I got a dog, and, and then I, I looked at his nose, and I heard the sound he was making and realized it was a pig. I tried to give him the food I had bought, and he wouldn't eat it. I tried to brush him with the dog brush, and he didn't like that either. Now it's a waste. You know, and then, you know, it's that animation where you can't really tell. Is it a dog? Is it a pig? You know, what is it? And, um, but I, it just made me think, that's kind of what humanistic solutions are like. It's kind of, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really do the trick. It's like trying to use dog food to feed a pig or combing it with the dog brush. You know, God is the one that made you. He's the one that knows you inside and out. He knows what can make you well. He knows what will fulfill your life. He knows what will make your relationships work. He knows what makes marriage work. You know, the Bible really works. God's way always works. And it's amazing when the world sort of figures out something that was already in the Bible. You know, I remember when, when, when men are from Mars and women are from Venus came out and it was like this amazing thing. Wow, we've realized with all of our learning that men and women are different. That they think differently and they have different needs. And so we've been trying to say, okay, treat men and women exactly the same in a relationship and we realize it doesn't work because we're different. It's like, okay, well, that's in the Bible, right? Ephesians 5, women need to feel loved and men need to feel respected. And it's all right there. All the stuff from men are from Mars and women from Venus is right there in Ephesians 5. So really, it, it, the, good, the good news is it's not like we've got to come up with the plan to heal ourselves. We've just got to do what He tells us to do. Act with faith, obey, and do what He tells us to do. Third thing, will you follow and worship? Will you follow and worship? Let's look back at John 9 here. So we left off in... Uh, in verse 9, some claimed this was the guy. Others said, no, he just looks like him. He himself insists, I am the man. You know, imagine the people are arguing about you. You're like, I'm right here. It was me. Okay, it was me. How then were your eyes open, they asked. Verse 10. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought... To the disciples, the, uh, sorry, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. 
Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents ask, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. It gives you a little more understanding of why the paralytic was so afraid, right? That was why his parents said he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind... But now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they hurled their insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not for God, from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped at birth and sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You know, it's a cool, cool story. You know, there's a lot of, of, of similarities between this and the other story we read. You know, they both, we don't, don't know the name of either man, and we know that they were both in this condition for a long time. One was 38 years. This guy was his whole life. And, uh, you know, Jesus interacts with both of them, and, and neither of them have any idea who he is when, they, when he first comes into contact with them. He, he, in both cases, he tells them something to do, and, and then they, they either, you know, they need to obey. One is get up, take his mat, and walk, and in this case, it's go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Both of these men were healed on the Sabbath, and if you don't know what, what that's about, uh, you know, in the Jewish law, in the Old Testament, uh, one of the, the Ten Commandments was to remember the, the, the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the, the seventh day. And so one day they were supposed to not work. And they were supposed to... Just, God didn't want them to just work all the time. He wanted them to take a day to rest and be with family and to remember God and to, to worship. And so that was supposed to be uh, the time of worship. So that, that's in the Old Testament. Now, the rabbis took the laws that Moses gave and they kind of gave a little, a lot of traditions and kind of explained those laws thoroughly and, and put more kind of layers on top. So there was a lot of traditions added to that original Moses' law that, that had to do with a lot of, of, of the laws kind of in depth. So, for example, when it comes to work, what does that mean to work on the Sabbath? They had all kinds of things of what it meant to work. So, for example, you, you, you can't carry anything. So that's why these guys are mad at the guy for carrying his mat. And, they, you know, you constantly see in the, in the scriptures where Jesus is interacting with the, the, the Jewish leaders because he's healing people on the Sabbath. And they're like, you're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, if you, if you have a sheep and the sheep falls into a hole and it's Saturday, you're not going to leave them there. You're going to get the sheep out of the hole. So how much more this person who's, 
who's an invalid or this person who has a shriveled hand or this person who's blind, how much more should I not help this person? And so they, you know, they had this back and forth thing. And, and uh, so that's what the Sabbath was all about. I mean, I had a, and it's still to this day, I had a coworker who was uh, a Jewish, traditional Jewish guy. And, and you know, he would, um, he had, it was funny because he had all these really rules, but then he'd be like, hey, let's, let's go party this weekend. <laughs> so, but he, uh, but they, they couldn't, one of the, the rules is you can't make fire. So, so that means you can't start your car because that's making fire. Or you can't turn on the TV, so you have to leave it on all weekend. Um, or you can't turn on the lights, so you have to leave them on all, all weekend. But, uh, and, and you can't drive your car, so he would, you know, everybody walks to synagogue. So I, I remember telling him, I'm like, isn't it a lot more work to walk a mile to synagogue than just drive your car? <laughs> I don't really get it. But anyway, that was the situation. So uh, they both have this, this confrontation with the Jewish leaders. And in the case of the, the paralytic, he betrays Jesus. But in the case of the blind man, don't you love this interaction he has where he really stands up for what, what God has done. And they both have this initial healing and then they both run into Jesus again, right? In the first case, the guy says, Jesus runs into him again and says, hey, you're, heal- you're healed now, that's good. Now stop sinning something worse may happen to you. And in the second case, he runs into him again and he says, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? And again, I think maybe that was something just to kind of provoke him, see what, what he's thinking. And I love his response. He's like, tell me who. I want to believe, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so they, you know, they both have that second interaction. But the, the second guy, the, the blind man, he becomes a follower. He becomes Jesus' disciple. He says to the, the religious leaders, Oh, do you guys want to become his disciples too? Which infers that in his own heart, he says, I'm this guy's disciple. I'm his follower. And if you're visiting with us, you'll hear us use that term disciple a lot. The reason is because it's in the Bible a lot. It's like 270 times in there. Uh, That's the word the Bible uses for Christian. The word Christian is not in there much. So it's usually the word disciple, which means a follower, a student. And, And so we talk a lot about trying to live our lives as disciples of Jesus, that we're his students, we're following him, we're trying to live out his teachings. And that's something that is kind of unique in the religious world today. A lot of churches say you need to believe in Jesus, but that word belief has been kind of robbed of its, of its potency. And it kind of means like, it doesn't matter what my life is like, I just acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior. And yet that's not what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, who's living out his teachings, who's you know, in daily life, trying to, to live like Jesus and, and you're around other disciples and trying to live like Jesus. And so that's, that's really the, the call, if we want to get well, is to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. And I love that he says, it says he, then he worshipped him. You know, that's the whole reason that we're here. That's w- what we do. And his testimony is so powerful. He says, one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. And so if you're a young Christian or if you feel like you don't really know that much yet about the Bible or you, know, you, you don't have all the answers, you know what? None of us have all the answers. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian you know, five years or ten years or twenty years or one year. We, we don't have the answers, but we know who has the answers. And one thing I know is I was this way and now I'm this way. God has transformed me. God has healed me. Uh, you know, we, 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 we need to, to be uh, men and women who we share our testimony with others of what God has done for us. And if you're visiting with us, 
you know, you might come into the fellowship and everybody's so nice and everybody's giving all the hugs and so smiles and, and you can feel like, is this real? You know, everybody, anybody feel like that the first time you came to church? Be honest, you know. Is this real? Are these people really like this? This is too much, you know. These people are just too nice. You could think that we're all just a bunch of, like, like, like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, you know. But, but that's not true. We are a bunch of sinners that have been washed, that have been cleansed, that have been saved by the grace of God. You know, this is a community of, of marriages that were on the brink. I mean, I know of so many marriages in our community where divorce papers had been filed. You know, there seemed to be no hope in the marriage. Both, both man and woman had, had, had been unfaithful to the other. And, you know, but God is able to take that situation and heal marriages when we do what He tells us to do and when we become His followers and His worshipers. You know, we've seen broken relationships healed. We've, we've seen chains of addiction gone. You know, people in this fellowship, right here among us, as we look around, we're addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to smoking, to pornography, to all kinds of stuff, sexual sins, and yet God has broken those chains of addiction. And where there was hopelessness, now there's hope. And we can forget, if we've been around a while, we can sometimes forget what we've been given and how much we've uh, you know, been, been rescued from by God. And if you're visiting with us, I encourage you just ask the person who brought you. So tell me your story, because we love to tell our story of what God has done. And uh, there's a brother that, that was baptized here that you all know, or most of you know, Hakan Emden. And uh, he was baptized two and a half years ago. I remember coming and visiting the Long Beach service and meeting him one of the first days uh, he was visiting and thinking, wow, this guy's really cool. I wonder, that would be so awesome if he became a Christian. But, you know, he was not... He's not quite there yet. He's a, he's a Muslim. He's you know, from Turkey. It's kind of like, wow, that would be so amazing if he became a Christian. Not only did he become a Christian, now he works for the church. Yeah. And he's leading the singles ministry over in, uh, in South Bay. And, and uh, he called me this week and he said uh, he wanted to know if, if we had any more invitations. You know, we have the, these invitations we use to invite people to church. And I, I usually do a lot of the graphics for our region and a lot of the uh, printing and stuff. So anyway, he called. He says, I, I want to know if you have any more in, invitations. I've I'm really trying to, to put my faith into action and really lead the singles and, and, and uh, you know, get things going. So I've decided I'm going to share my faith with 15 or 20 people every day. So I'm running out of invitations. <laughs> so can you have any invitations I can come get? And uh, he said, you know, when I, when I share with people, I, I'm trying not to just invite them to church, but I try to give them like a little one-minute testimony. Like here, I, I used to be Muslim, and now I became a Christian, and here's what God did in my life, and... Here's, here's kind of who I was, and here's how, how God has changed me. I thought, man, that is so powerful. If he's sharing that testimony with 15 or 20 people every day, man, God is so glorified by that. Let's have this guy's heart. You know, I don't know everything, but one thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. And before we take communion, I, I want us to look at a couple scriptures and just Remember, especially those of us who've been around a while, remember that how amazing it is that we have been able to be given sight. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures and sing a song and then take communion. But 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And that is what some of you, what? Were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, what God has done in this fellowship is just as amazing as a man who had no sight who can now see. Just as amazing. Just as miraculous. We've got to to, uh, celebrate that, what God has done in our lives. Uh, Another verse uh, on the screen here, uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For He has rescued us. Next slide. Keep going there. It should come up. There you go. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. That we can have total forgiveness, total justification. That last verse we looked at said, we've been justified. Gordon Ferguson says, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That is such good news that we can be healed of these deep, Things. You know, we can be healed of our sin and, and then we can continue to change with ever-increasing glory because of God's power. Amen. Verse 38 in, in John 9 that we've been looking at, the blind man says, Lord, I believe and worshiped Him. And let's meditate on that as we take communion. I believe. And let's really worship God and thank Him. You know, that communion is why we come together. And this is why... Uh, Christians have gathered on the first day of the week ever since that, the time of Jesus because uh, Sunday morning was the, was the morning he, he rose from the dead. And so they've come together to celebrate a meal every Sunday since then. And, and they, they, they take the bread, which is his body, and they take the wine, which is his blood, and they remember that only through Jesus can we be healed and only through Jesus can we have the saving grace. We're going to sing a song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, and then we'll uh, have a prayer for communion. Mercy reigns a 
Chains are gone. Sing it out. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And my God, His mercy Chains are gone. Our chains are thank God for what he's done for us. Amen. And let's pray. God, thank you that we could uh, just come together every Sunday to remember uh, Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins and uh, that we can be made well. And Father, I pray that the things that we've uh, thought about or that you put on our heart today that we want to see change, God, that we would give up to you. We would be willing to to, to obey and follow and uh, see uh, further transformation in this church and God, thank you for this time to remember the sacrifice that was paid so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for his body and his blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.